So together, isn't it great to say together? We're together. And together we're continuing to study uh, the Beatitudes out of Matthew chapter 5 in a series that we're calling Blessed Are Those. And if you remember when we started this series, we talked about that word blessing, that whether you're kind of new to church or you're just kind of figuring things out or you've been a long-time church member, you probably know this word blessing. And when we say this word blessing, we're talking about the circumstances around us, that whether we have found ourselves in fortunate circumstances or maybe we find ourselves avoiding misfortunate circumstances, we're in good shape, we find ourselves that are blessed. But that word isn't just the same word as fortune, is it? It's not just talking about our circumstances. When we say that we are blessed, we're also talking about God's role in all of that. That God is the one that has gifted us with this blessed state. And it's almost a way of of praise and of thanksgiving to God um, because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But here's the catch in Jesus' Beatitudes. Everything he lists is not a fortunate circumstance (laughs) through the eyes of the world. And each week you probably have seen this or have looked at that's not exactly an easy or attractive place to be in. And yet Jesus is saying that's blessed because when you're in that situation, God comes specifically to you in that and comes to your rescue. So we're going to continue that today in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 with our next beatitude. It simply says this, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. And when Jesus is saying this in his sermon, he's thinking about specific people because he was in the midst of a very conflictual situation, a world in conflict. It wasn't just political or or military in nature, although that was definitely a part of it. And if you can remember your elementary history classes, this is exactly the time when Rome is really exercising and reaching his point of dominance in that part of the world and has taken over what we call modern-day Palestine, Jerusalem, that whole area. They are the dominating people, but they had a special way of ruling, the Romans did. They would rule over you. You'd say, we are your new authority, but you can continue life as usual so long as it doesn't interfere with our authority and our dominance over you. So you can keep your same government structure, even your kings and your magistrates, whatever you do. You can keep your culture, your religion. We're not gonna cause any undue battles in that regard. As long as you say that you belong to us, you can live life just as normal. And on one hand, that might have been okay for the first century Jews in that day, but it also created a great deal of uh, culture conflict in that day. Because the Romans, though they were dominant, though they were a presence in in that place in that day, they also carried with them a great deal of culture themselves, that they were, by just be, being a dominant force, they were going to be influencers in that. And if you remember your history books, they were very much influenced by Greek culture, Greek religion. And so a lot of that came to a head in Jesus' day. And how are we going to deal with this large, not only socio-political, not only military conflict, but also this culture conflict. Do you hear me on this? I think we might have something to say or resonate with when it comes to the audience that Jesus is speaking to in that day. 
And he says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. How has your 2020 been? You know, it's interesting when I talk to people, there are two types of interpretations as to what is happening in the year 2020. Some have said, this is the year we'd love to just forget. (laughs) All of these things, you know, life was going just fine and all of these things have hit us and now we have to deal with it. We didn't ask for it, it was uninvited and it has happened to us and now we have to deal with it. Other people have said, no, 2020 is just helping us see more clearly. That we've been dealing with this for quite some time. And it has revealed itself to us and has forced us to respond to that. No matter what your interpretation is, we all are forced to respond to it. Isn't that amazing? There is this sort of global connectedness that we all have with all of this that's happening and going on, things that are are facing the world, the, the human race. It's facing all of us, and we have to respond. And, and that means that we're going to respond probably out of the way that comes natural for us, whether it's our personality or maybe through our certain circumstances. But many of you know the typical responses that people have. There's either fight or there's what? There's flight. And if you're a big conflict avoider and you didn't ask for any of this, you don't want any of this, my guess is you're really, really tired because you're trying to run away from it, and it keeps following you. You wish it would all just go away, but you, in order to live, in order to survive, in order to to just do life, you have to to deal with it. You have to face it. You have to to confront it. And so if you're not cool with conflict, I imagine you're really, really tired. And it has affected you in in deep and, and personal ways. But some of you might be fighters. Some of you might be instigators. That's a whole other sermon. But some of you might be fighters. And my guess is that you're tired too. Everyone's fighting with one another. And you're fighting and you're fighting and you're tired. I wonder, there's got to be a a different way. And I think Jesus speaks into that. Fight or flight response in some ways, talks about what we're going to do in response to conflict. But I think what Jesus does here, very subtly, but I think it's important not to miss it, is to ask us a very deeper, a much deeper question when it comes to conflict that is at our doorstep. Not so much what you're going to do, but no. Who are you? Who are you going to become in light of this conflict? Who are you? Who are you going to become in the midst of this? Because we will always face conflict, whether it's a global conflict, maybe it feels like extra pressured right now, but we're all gonna face conflict, and conflict is a way of the world. It is a way of life. It's something that we are always going to have to face. The struggle and the temptation is to lose a sense of who we are when conflict hits us. And that's important because when, it, when conflict hits us, 
there's always going to be sides. You know, there's different kinds of conflict resolution, the way people deal with them, and just out of my own experience. So I might have a married couple that is at odds and in conflict, depending on what the situation might be, and they're coming to me to talk about it, to work through it together. But the goal, the reason why they're coming to me in the first place, and if you're in therapy or a therapist, you understand this, the goal is restoration, right? The goal is to have some sort of reconcilable way that you can move forward so that your marriage can not only survive, but, but to thrive. And that happens a lot. There's a lot of that kind of conflict where two parties coming together, we, we need to resolve this. Let's do the work to resolve this, this kind of thing. But the other kind of conflict that I've seen that seems to be growing amidst us is not, a, is not a conflict resolution with the goal to restore, but rather a goal to triumph, a goal to win, to enter into a conflict or a conversation, to one-up the other person, to catch them in a logical fallacy, to catch them in wrongdoing in order to win, to, to come out on, on top. And it's that kind of conflict that causes both parties that are involved in this not to reach out but to dig in deeper in the ground and in the sand, to fortify their position. It's the difference between a conversation and a debate. If you've taken debate class, you know about this. The goal of a debate is to win, not to reconcile. In fact, many, if you go have debate classes in college, you, you know about this. One of the things that they'll ask you to do is to argue a side, and then you have to switch places and argue the other side. Why? Because it is all about winning the argument. And I see this happening more and more, people digging in, not reaching out, but digging in. And the further that we dig in, the more we begin to create an identity around us. You see, conflict will always create sides, but it's very possible and very subtle that sides can become tribes. We're always going to have sides in the midst of conflict. We can't avoid conflict, but sides can so easily become tribes. And that is, that becomes problematic for us that call ourselves people of faith, Christians, followers of Jesus. There's a really good book out there that I would recommend um, by David Fitch, it's called The Church of Us Versus Them. Pretty compelling title, right? I couldn't put it down. It was able to name so many things that I've been feeling but not able to really articulate. Uh, and, and in that book, he, he says this. He says, whenever a distinctive belief becomes extracted from everyday life, from real life discernment in the spirit, and becomes an identity marker, a qualifier, it can be used to set up one side against the other. Friends, there's got to be a different way, and I think Jesus offers it in this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. What is a peacemaker? It's someone who can stand in the gap and be unaffected by the sides 
on either end so as to not create a false identity. Peacemaking, Christian peacemaking comes from the word uh, shalom. The Greek word comes, really extends from the word shalom in the Old Testament, and you find it everywhere. It is one of those umbrella terms that you find in the Bible that has a whole host of different meanings. And, and to its core, it means a sense of harmony or a sense of wholeness within oneself. But it's used in a, a lot of different circumstances to, to name the, the very character of God, but also as a way of life, as a way of living. In fact, as an, an ancient Jew, to greet one another was to extend peace. Shalom, peace to you, peace to this house. It was a huge part of not only what they believed, but, but how they lived. And to make peace in the midst of comfort conflict was a huge part of, of the way of life. And so that, what that means is that to have peace means to have, be at harmony, and I love that word harmony because um, I'm, not a, I'm not a musical person, like I, I can't read music or anything like that, but let me tell you, I know a good note from a bad note. I know when the notes go together because how it feels, I can just feel it, Right? And when there's that good harmony that's happening between notes, wow, it's amazing. Doesn't it? it just takes you to a different place. But when there's an off note, it's like nails on a chalkboard. You guys feel that. Isn't it interesting? There's just simple notes, but if you put them together wrongly, you just, we all feel that, don't we? Man, have we been feeling the disharmony? and the pressure around us in our, in our day. So I love this word harmony as, as a way of peace, but it, it can mean peace in our relationship with God. In fact, that's what Jesus came to, to offer was peace between God and, and humanity. In Romans 5, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his, this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. It can also mean an inward peace, an inner peace, someone that is in harmony with themselves. And the Bible talks about that too. Isaiah 32, 17 says, the fruit of, of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. And we can pinpoint those people, right, that are just at peace with themselves. A lot of times I'll point them out, wow, I really would love that. <laughs> and then out of that, in extension to that, we're called to have peace with one another, that shalom peace, to be in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 14 to 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This word peace is pervasive and it hits to the very core of who we are. Now in this beatitude, you'll sense a little bit of 
cause and effect in all of the different beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, they shall be shown mercy. It's sort of an if-then type of situation. But if you remember in the very first message of this series, we're not talking about award or merit. Like if you can become poor, then God will bless you. It's no, if you find yourselves in these situations, you are still blessed because God will intervene in in this specific way. And they might seem a little arbitrary to you as you're reading, okay, inherit kingdom of heaven, be merciful, all of that. Have you considered if there's a connection between being called a child of God and being a peacemaker? When we live in a world of sides and tribes, forces and influences that try to pull you to one side and say, no, this is who you are. Yes, you're a Christian, but you're this kind of Christian. You have to live in this label and this category and this particular way of identifying yourself. You have to take on this particular identity. And Jesus is saying, in order to be a peacemaker, you have to be firmly rooted in your identity in Jesus Christ. You have to be firmly founded and and rooted in the, the fact that God calls you his child in Jesus Christ. He calls you, he names you. And the subject of naming in the Bible, I I could go on and on about it. It's actually a really interesting study if you wanna take it on. But naming in the Bible is really significant, especially in the Old Testament, because there would be a sense of ceremony around name. A child would be born and there'd be a naming ceremony and it was this indication that the patriarch of the family had ownership, but also responsibility, but also authority over that person. It's exactly why when Moses, if some of you know the story, Moses and reading your Bible, story Moses in the burning bush, he, uh, he, he encounters God at the burning bush and, and God tells him that he has to go liberate his Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. And Moses is a little afraid. He's like, by the way, if I go into Egypt and they ask who's sending me, what should I tell him? What's your name? And God says, I am who I am. Yahweh. I am who I am. I'll be who I will be. You're not going to name me, Moses. You're not going to exercise that power and authority over me, Moses. So different than when my son Asher was born. We were so undecided. And he was born. And the doctor looked up, and... (laughs) Asher, we just threw it out there. Now, it's a great name. Um, it's a Hebrew name. It means happy and blessed. But totally not sitting in the same sense of ceremony as what you find in the Old Testament in the Bible. And God says, call. They will be called. Peacemakers will be called and named children of God. And it's God, not just God's name over us, but God's claim over us. God's saying, I will exercise authority over you. I will be your Lord, but I will own you. You will be my child. I will take responsibility and care for you so you do not need to fear. You do not need to worry. You can take each new day in victory, as we sang, because you are a child of God. That's the kind of person that can stand in the gap of a conflict and seek restoration because they have an identity that is so transcendent from the tribes that exists, that exists in the conflicts of our world today. One of the leading 
authors um, in the church in peacemaking is a guy by the name of Ken Sand. So many great resources. You guys, it was really hard to pack all of this into one message, let me tell you. It is such an exciting, adventurous, and widespread topic. But in that book, I, couldn't not, I could not offer this to you. Ken Sand, he has four G's that he practices in peacemaking and conflict resolution. So I want to share those with you here today. That if you find yourselves in the midst of conflict, remember four things. First of all, the first G is to glorify God. Glorify God. And the question here for you should be in the midst of conflict, who's getting the honor here? Who is this pointing the way towards? In your defensiveness, are you pointing closer to yourself or are you pointing closer to God? Jesus says this is so important that in his Sermon on the Mount that if you find yourself in conflict with another brother or sister and you're about to go and and offer a gift to the altar, leave the gift. Don't even offer it to God. Go and reconcile with your brother. Almost as a way of saying that's gonna be more honoring to me than offering this this sacrifice and this gift to God. Ken Sand, in his book, he he says this, every time you encounter a conflict, you will inevitably show what you really think of God. Ouch. You will point the way to God. So who is getting the honor, who is getting the fame, who is getting the recognition in the midst of this conflict in the way that we are addressing it? Is it glorifying to God? The second G is get the log out. And some of you that also know, uh, have read the Gospels, you know what this reference means. Getting the log out is part of Jesus' teaching. He said, you hypocrites, why are you focused on the speck in your neighbor's eye and you're ignoring the the log or the plank in your own eye? And Jesus is actually being funny here. He's He's exaggerating to make a point. No one can hold a log in their in their own eye. And it's such an important point that even if we feel like we are on the defensive, we have to be a person not only of confession, and I talked about confession a couple of weeks about how we're called to be confessional, but also a person of repentance. A wise mentor told me one time, you always have something to apologize for. We, as people of faith, in order to be peacemakers, have to be willing to own our stuff too in the process. You know, it's why that, it's why we, um, in the, after the, the killing of George Floyd, we felt compelled as a church leadership to put out a statement not only condemning uh, race, racism and racial prejudice, But in the midst of that letter, you might have caught this, to name and own our own, the church, and also Friends Church, complicity in the history of racism. There's something disarming about a person who is unafraid to own their stuff, to be confessional, but also repentant, to say, I'm sorry, to ask for forgiveness, not a way of giving in, but standing on the confidence that we are forgiven people 
Get the log out. We should be unafraid to address our own complicity in every conflict, in every situation. Because we are a forgiven people as as children of God. Get the log out. Uh, The fourth G, glorify God, get the log out. And and, and thirdly, uh, then to move to gently restore. And this comes from uh, Galatians 6.1. If there's uh, a brother that's in sin, seek to restore him gently. Restore him gently. And that word restore comes to mind. And restore gently. In this, we ask ourselves the question, what is the goal of this conversation? What is the goal of this debate, this argument that we have with one another? What's the goal? Are we seeking to win or are we seeking to restore? That matters a great deal in the way that we address this conflict. Glorify God, get the log out, gently restore. And finally, go and be reconciled. To be a people of peacemaking, to be a people of reconciliation, to, uh, to go forth in that. Peacemaking is not passive. It's not avoidance. It's to go forth and to be makers of peace and be people of reconciliation in a world that we know is full of conflict already. Go and be reconciled. What could the world look like if the church were the leaders of peacemaking in our world today? One of my best friends is uh, South African. And I remember visiting him for the first time. And he had to explain some things to me. He had visited the United States. We served at a Christian summer camp one summer and became best friends. And so this was a couple years later. I visited him in South Africa being completely ignorant of what had happened in, in South Africa just less than a decade earlier. And... He said, I need to explain some things to you as we go out and about. You need to understand apartheid. You need to understand, you know, Nelson Mandela and, and all of these different things. I, I'm claiming my ignorance. I had no idea. It wasn't taught to me in school, or if it was, I wasn't paying attention. There's a lot of that, too. I knew nothing about it. But then he explained to me something that I have never forgotten about. He talked about Bishop Desmond Tutu and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That after years of apartheid, violent apartheid in in South Africa, the native black Africans of South Africa finally were able to flip the switch and be in power in that land. What would happen? my white South African friend wandered along with his family. What happened to them? Would there be violence out of retribution back towards them? Would there be an evening of the scales? Would there be a lot of getting back and getting even? Now, this wasn't a perfect process, mind you, but, but, but my friend and, and other South Africans will tell you that the reason that they are able to call themselves South Africans along with their native African South Africans 
is because of this effort by Bishop Desmond Tutu, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And what they did is they held these open community forums for people to list, to, to name and to share their testimony of the oppression and violence against them in apartheid. And they also offered those that had victimized others to come and seek forgiveness as well. Now, some of these crimes were to such an extent that they were prosecuted, but there were, that there were many, hundreds of people that were forgiven and pardoned along the way. And having that mutual space that civil, honor-giving space, though it wasn't perfect, it was a mechanism for people to come together to let their voices be heard in a spirit of restoration. And all of this was spearheaded and led by a Jesus follower. Desmond Tutu went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And if I may, be an example for Jesus in this, um, in this beatitude far greater than, than I have. We have conflict. Yes, it's way more pressurized than we ever asked for or want, but it's here. And you may ask yourself, how am I gonna respond? But I'm just gonna ask you to ask a question before that, which is, who am I going to be in this moment? Who am I going to be in this moment of time, in this age, in the year 2020? Who am I going to be? And if I can be rooted in who God says that I am, can I let the world see that too? Through my peacemaking. Let's pray over that. Holy God, thank you that while we were estranged from you through Jesus Christ, we have peace. And you name us children of God in Jesus Christ. And we can stand firm and confident in that. And so out of that, God, help us to be peacemakers. Lord, there are some of us that feel extra strong and passionate about our sides. Whisper into our ears in this moment that we are children of God. There are those of us that feel the weight and the strain of the conflict at our doorstep. Remind us that we are children of God. And show us the way to be your people in this world. You have not given up on us yet. And you have not given up on the world yet. Call us forth to be peacemakers. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for our worship today. I hope it was inspiring for you and challenging for you and that you could take some things with you during the week that really makes a difference. I just invite you to leave your heart open for the Holy Spirit to speak. You never know what God might say to you or what God might do in your life. So just invite you to be open to that, especially as we consider how we are called to be peacemakers. 
In just a moment, there's going to be a series of questions that pop up on the screen. If you're by yourself, maybe take some time with a journal or whatever to reflect on these questions and maybe keep them during the week to reflect on. Or if you're with some loved ones this morning, take some time to discuss these things in the hopes that God would continue to speak just as he has through our worship experience. Have a great week. God bless you guys. And we look forward to catching you again next week. Thank you.